Uh, We're going to read John chapter 6, verses 41 through to 71. And Simon's going to speak to us about this passage uh, a little bit later on. And you'll hear people are deciding what they make of Jesus here. So there's some people that are pretty opposed and and grumbling about what Jesus is saying. um, Because Jesus um, previously had just said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then we see the reaction uh, of different people from verse 41 onwards. Because verse 41 says, At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him, because he'd said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling amongst yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It's written in the prophets, they will, be, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us flesh to eat? Jesus said to him, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, 
the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. This is God's word. Jesus spoke about being the bread of heaven. If we believe in him, it's like we've eaten that bread. It's like we'll be satisfied forever. It's not like real food when you eat it and you still eventually die. This bread means that we live forever. And we're going to think about that now. Think about um, the assurance that we have that we'll be together one day in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ if we believe in him. Lord, as Simon comes to speak your word to us in a moment, we just pray that we would listen. We pray that we would understand. We pray that we would accept the Lord Jesus for ourselves, that we would eat this bread from heaven, and that we would live forever in our family together and with you for eternity. Thank you, Paul. Uh, Good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm Simon. You might have turned to it. I haven't yet. So I'll just turn to John chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at this um, passage together. I want to start with a word that will separate the younger generation from the rest of us. So junior department over here, I expect in a minute to start looking very confused, particularly Hugo. Um, Okay, here's the word. Are you ready? Woolworths. Any ideas? No? No, completely. Samuel's got no idea. Not a single clue. See, these high street shops were a massive part of my, uh, my childhood, particularly when I turned 16 and I got a job in the Hyde branch of Woolworths, highlight of my life, shows what my life was like. My first ever Oasis CDs came from Woolworths. I remember saving up my money, in I went, definitely maybe, what's the story, morning glory, all of them became mine. And it was a sad moment back in 2008 when every store in the UK closed never to be opened again. But beyond the CDs, beyond the cheap, however you want to describe that word, clothes, the highlight of Woolworths was the pick and mix counter. (laughs) Now this picture that I'm about to show you doesn't actually do it justice. This is just the only one I could find that was free that I was allowed to show you. But actually, it was, it was way bigger than this. Think about when you go to the cinema, maybe if you're there on, on Thursday, and you think about the pick and mix counter, but think twice as big and about a tenth of the cost. And that's what you've got when you went into Woolworths. It was amazing and a hotbed for shoplifting. Um, and first, my, um, my pocket money, and then a bit later, my staff discount. Uh, were either wasted or invested, depending on how you want to look at these things, in the pick-and-mix counter at Woolworths. It's my favourite place. For me, sweets wasn't about the word or, it was about the word and. Dolly mixture or cola cubes? No, no, no. Dolly mixture and cola cubes with a K. See, for most people, where's the K in Dolly Mixture? I don't want to miss it. For most people, the word and is how they want to live their lives. How do we choose how to live? How do we make moral decisions? We pick and mix. We take maybe a bit of this philosophy and maybe a bit of this religion over here and maybe a bit of this that I've come up with myself or maybe we're just kind of drifting through and allowing culture to shape how we think and what we say and because choice is the great idol of our society at the moment it's the thing that we all worship down is the individual human choice 
it fits in that we can just pick a bit here and find what works for us. This and this and this and this. Coming together to make something that works for me. But into this melting pot of ideas, into this whole realm of possibilities, come the words of Simon Peter to Jesus Christ, recorded for us in verse 68 at the end of our passage. Simon Peter answered Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else can we go? Where else can we go? See, Simon Peter realizes it's not and... We'll come to Jesus and some other stuff. It's not and that helps us understand the world, but him. Him. That's the word. Jesus Christ is unique. Completely unique. And is the only one who can satisfy and save. That's what Simon Peter has come to realize. But that's the end of our passage. It's not how our passage begins. Earlier in chapter 6, Jesus has fed upwards of 20,000 people with five loaves and two fish. It is a miracle. But you remember the point in John's gospel? John is showing us these signs, recounting them to us so that we don't set up camp at the sign. You don't do that, do you? We've talked about this before. We don't stop at the sign. We go through to see what the sign is pointing to. And what Jesus does next is he takes that miracle He focuses on the bread, and he explains what it means, the bigger picture of what is going on. We see that in last week's passage. Look back at verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That's who Jesus is. Verse 38, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. What was the feeding of the 5,000 all about? Well, it's about a demonstration of who Jesus is. I am the bread of life and why he had come. I've come down from heaven to do the will of my Father. And those listening don't like it. They don't like it at all. Verse 31, 41, the start of our passage. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say... I came down from heaven. You can kind of take that point, can't you? They knew Jesus. He was the carpenter, the son of the carpenter. Some of them maybe had grown up with him. And now suddenly he's saying he's come down from heaven. They look at Jesus and they see nothing unique at all. They just think he's another teacher, someone else who we can listen to and kind of take bits and pieces from, maybe add him in, take a bit of Jesus and a bit of this and a bit of that, pick and mix. Sure, they don't doubt his existence. It's obvious that he's there. But he's just one voice amongst many. When it comes to God, we can shop around and keep our options open. But what we'll see this morning is that they couldn't have been more wrong. They couldn't have been more wrong. There is nowhere else that we can go. Nowhere else that we should go. Nowhere else other than Jesus. We need to focus solely on Jesus Christ and see him firstly as the unique son. 
You see, right from the off, Jesus wants us to be clear. He and the Father, God in heaven, are on the same page. Verse 43. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come down, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. You see, Jesus is describing the work of God. Yet twice he says me, and once he says I. You want to know what God is doing in the world? Look at me. Do you see, Jesus is no ordinary man. He's saying to understand God, only look at me. See, this whole section is Jesus showing his uniqueness because he is the Son of God. He points to himself, whereas every other prophet points away from themselves and to God. The Old Testament prophets would say, come to me to listen, but then look at God. Jesus says, no, listen to me, focus upon me. Look at verse 45. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. See this verse from the Old Testament, that bit where it says uh, they will all be taught by God. It's in a part where God's people are promised restoration. They're promised hope. They're promised the joy of having God himself teach them. And here Jesus says when you listen to God properly, when you understand his teaching... You come to Jesus. He shows he has a unique relationship with the Father. Verse 46, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Do you get the size of what he's saying? He's saying there is a God and the only way you can know him is through me. There aren't lots of different roads. There aren't many ways to get to God. There is one and it is through me Jesus Christ. And then the big finish, verse 47. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am unique, says Jesus. I am the only one who can bring you to God. And belief in me is the only way to eternal life. What's the answer to that question at the end of verse 42? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? What's the answer to that question? Either it is uniquely true, or Jesus is a complete and utter fraud. There's no middle ground. There's no spot in the middle where we can say, yeah, Jesus is all right, yeah, I quite like that bit. Either he is uniquely true, or he is a complete fraud we can't sit on the fence just look at what he says look at his words and then he comes back to the bread picture again verse 48 i am the bread of life your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness yet they died but here is the bread that comes down from heaven which anyone may eat and not die i am the living bread that came down from heaven whoever eats this bread will live forever this bread is my flesh which i will give for the life of the world his point is clear Just as manna came down into the wilderness in the days of Moses to feed the people, so Jesus has come down into the wilderness of our lives to provide us with everything that we need to live and to enable us to go to the promised land. And we hate it. We hate it. You see, you do, even if you don't admit it. You hate what Jesus is saying here. And so do I. We hate the point that Jesus makes twice. 
Eternal life, knowing God, only results from Jesus coming down. See, why does Jesus emphasize his coming down? Because deep down in the human heart, in all of us, is a desire to raise ourselves up. To get ourselves to God. We think that if we have it in us, to, to lift ourselves up, to be worthy of a place of it with God. I can get myself to him. Sometimes it's religion. Five pillars, four noble truths, two visits to church on a Sunday. Other times it's good works. Surely I'm good enough to merit a place in heaven with God. You see, humanity is all about dragging itself up by its bootstraps. Whether it's to God, whether it's to enlightenment, whether it's to in peace, whether it's to comfort. And we hate it when Jesus says it's useless. Absolute useless. There is nothing that we can do to raise ourselves even an inch towards God's. Our efforts are less effective than an ant trying to jump to the moon because they all begin with us. Everything begins with us. Religion begins with us. Philosophy begins with us. Morality begins with us. How can I get myself to God? To know God and to have eternal life can never be done when the starting point is us. We need the one who is from God, who has come from God, from heaven, into this world. We need the unique son who has himself come down so that he can raise us up. It is right that we long to be there. But the way that we get there is through the one who has come down. And the glory of the gospel, the wonder of the good news of the Lord Jesus is that this unique son himself is a unique sacrifice. One of the things that I heard as people were reflecting on the life of the queen was that the words privilege and service don't often go together. You get those two words separately quite a lot, but often privilege and service don't go together. Yet they did with her. She had privilege that none of us could possibly understand. And yet she served. She used it to serve. What do we see from this passage about Jesus? He is uniquely equal with the Father. He is God the Son. There is no one else like him in all of reality. The entire universe belongs to him. All that Paul showed us in that video, first thing, all of it, made through him, for him, and held in the palm of his hand. Yet what does he do with that status and privilege? Does he lord it over us? Does he fire thunderbolts down at us? No, Jesus came down to sacrifice himself. We see this as he extends the bread picture. See, at the end of verse 51, he'd taken this picture and made it even more vivid, something which confused the Jews. End of verse 51. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? See, it's a valid question. Is Jesus bringing in the era of cannibalism? 
That doesn't sound too hopeful, does it? Yet once again, Jesus' listeners are missing the point. See, Jesus uses these pictures to illustrate big truths. And yet we see time and again that people stop at the pictures. Do you remember back in chapter 2? Jesus was in the temple and he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And they're like, what are you talking about? This took decades to build. But he was talking about his body, the bigger truth. Chapter 3, he meets Nicodemus and says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, what are you talking about? I can't get back inside my mom. But Jesus says, no, you've missed the point. It's spiritual rebirth. Chapter 4, he's with the woman at the well. He says, I've got water of life. Drink it and you'll never be thirsty. She says, you haven't even got a bucket. How are you going to get your bucket? How are you going to get the water out of the well? He says, no, there's something bigger. You're stopping at the picture. We need what is going on here. And now it's his flesh as bread. Verse 53, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So what's going on? I want you to imagine that it's breakfast time. And all I've got in the house is some bread. And so I come downstairs and I look at the bread and I maybe give the bread a bit of a wave and then just ignore it and carry on with my day. Next morning, I come down, the bread's still there. My need for it is a little bit stronger. I'm a little bit hungrier than I was the day before. So this time I kind of go and I wave it again. This time I say hello because I'm getting a bit desperate and the bread is just sitting there. But again, I ignore it and I carry on about my day, getting hungrier and weaker. And as the days go by, my hunger increases and my weakness increases. What good has the bread done me? The answer is absolutely nothing. It's right there. But if I just wave at it, say hello and then carry on with the rest of my life, It will do nothing. And the longer it goes, the more desperate my situation becomes. I need the bread. But as long as I keep my distance, I will know no benefit from it at all. Why? Because the truth is, it's me or the bread. It's me or the bread. This situation will end with one of us expiring. Either I will destroy the bread by eating it, or I will die. It's him or me. That's how it goes with the bread. Jesus is the bread of life who sacrifices himself for his people. You see, the core of the good news of Jesus Christ coming down from heaven is that when he died... There was one cross that he died upon, not billions and billions of crosses. You see, that's what should have happened. Every single person in the whole of human history crucified upon a cross for the sin that we have committed. Our offense against God who made us and yet we lived as if he doesn't exist. 
all of us deserve that death. And yet Jesus sacrificed himself so that we can know life. And we pop our head around the door and we give Jesus a quick wave and then we leave. Jesus' response, verse 53, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. We need to feed on Christ's sacrifice, finding strength and vitality from it. We need to take it for ourselves, finding our utter need for him, finding that life-giving power from his sacrifice. We don't just stand at a distance. We get up close and we say, this is for me. I'm going to feed upon this sacrifice. Why? Verse 54, because whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. How do we get to God? How do we find our place in heaven? We acknowledge, we see the sacrifice of Christ and we take it in for ourselves. You see, life to the full is eternal life. Living as we were made to live. Life with the God who made us. Restored to the people that we were meant to be before our sin ruined us. See, of course there's no way we can do that for ourselves. There's no way we can fix ourselves. But Jesus the Lord of heaven, the great king of all reality, came down. He came down. He gave himself so that you and I could be raised up. To push the picture, the bread analogy. Doesn't that sound tasty? Don't you just want to reach out and take it? To feed on it, to find strength, to find life through all that Jesus offers. Take it, feed on it, find life from the unique sacrifice, from the unique son. Because in the end, it's not primarily about what you do, but about who you believe in, how you react to Jesus' unique words. See, we see two responses here. As Jesus gets to the end of this little talk, we see there's a, a dividing based on how people respond. And we see first from Jesus' wider group of disciples, verse 60, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to him, does this offend you? See, this builds on last week as this group are with Jesus. They're here for the short term again. A a full stomach, a, a healed family member, a bit of entertainment. That's why they're with Jesus. It's like a traveling circus. Every day, something new to tell the grandkids about. They think they know how the world works. And so when Jesus confronts that and says, no, you're wrong, this is what life is all about, as he exposes their self-reliance, they grumble and they're offended. How dare you, Jesus? How dare you say that I can't do things myself? I wonder, what do you want Jesus for? Maybe a feel-good factor once a week that you like being in this building and doing the things that happen on a Sunday. Maybe going home and thinking, well, I've given my hour to God, so that's got to be worth a few points. Maybe it's about a solid set of values for the kids. You appreciate that there's some uh, good things that are taught to the children here, and so you bring them along and expose them to that. Maybe it's just being together. Maybe you know something of the generosity of Christians. I want to benefit a little bit from that. You see, if that's you and you're not offended 
by Jesus' words, then I'm not doing my job properly. These words put our hearts on view. We are exposed before them. We should feel the power of what Jesus is saying. You can do nothing apart from me. And Jesus responds to them with the the same words, verse 63. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray them. See, Jesus' words, they're full of spirit and they're full of life. This is no empty philosophy. This is not the ideas of a mere man. These are life-giving words. They're from the one who is himself, life. And as a further reminder of how lost we are, he tells us that it's the Father who has to make the first move. No one comes unless the Father draws me. We are utterly incapable. And what happens? Verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. See, the realization that you have nothing of worth to bring to God, that you're unable to save yourself, it can send you one of two ways. And the first is away from Jesus to focus upon yourself. Is that what you'll do? Will you turn your back on God because he's exposed what is real? And just think, I can't be doing with that. I just want to focus on myself. And if you're a Christian here this morning, and you've shared your faith, and the person has responded in uh, rejection, and has been offended, and has turned away, take heart. It happened to Jesus. Keep going. Keep presenting Christ. Keep showing the Lord Jesus to your friends and your families and your neighbors. We are sent, but it's the Father who enables. We talk And then we pray. And when the Father does enable, it is spectacular. Verse 67. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. What a moment in Simon Peter's life this is. He's got it. He's understood Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's offensive. Yes, it means death to what I want. But look at what power there is in these unique words. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. You've got the words of eternal life. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Yes, it is. And he has the words of eternal life. So where will you go? Will you go to cultural fancies that change with the seasons? To religious figures who rise up and then die? Inside yourself to find all you need and then be spectacularly disappointed? There is nowhere else other than the Holy One of God who has the words of eternal life. You see, this is the bread that endures. This is the food that will last. And as we eat, we find the solid rock on which we can base our lives, that firm foundation. And the hard times are used to build faith rather than to break it. And we see this as the passage ends in a slightly odd way in verse 70. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. See, following Jesus were the crowds, and yet they left him by this moment. 
Within that group, there was a wide group of disciples, but they'd gone too. They'd left Jesus, but closest to him were the 12, that inner group. And what defined them? They were chosen by Jesus. They'd been through the storm when they saw Jesus walking on the water, and they'd come to believe. That time in the storm, that time when they were terrified, hadn't pushed them away from Jesus. Actually, it had fused them, it had formed them into those that Jesus wanted. Coming to Christ is done through the heart and the mind as you come to love and believe in him. Faith is formed and shaped through the storms of life as Christ shows his love and his power. He demonstrates himself to be sufficient in everything that you need. And wonderfully and joyfully, as you look back, you discover that Christ chose you. He set his love upon you and enabled you to see him and to know life. The unique son, the holy one of God, had you in mind. But there's a danger. We get a glimpse of the future here at the end of this chapter of one who will betray Jesus. Of one who is still cold, even in the midst of the closest relationship with him. So as we finish, the question is, where are you? Are you the crowd and the disciples? So offended by Jesus' words for his declaration that you can do nothing to know God. Nothing to know life in all its fullness. All of it is centered on him. You offended that he would dare to say that you're not good enough? Are you Judas? Are you nodding along to everything? Are you saying a hearty amen to everything that's said here? And yet deep down, you're hard to it all. Or are you Peter? Not understanding everything, Peter doesn't get it all. Yet seeing in Christ life-giving words flowing from the life-giving sacrifice of the life-giving Son. Do you see Jesus? Don't pick a mix. Don't shop around. Don't let and define your attitude to life. But see Jesus. See him, the one with the words of eternal life. The one who gave himself, who gave his life. So that we may be raised up. So that we may be the people that we were always made to be. And that we may know the God who made us. Who draws us to himself through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to him. Listen to his words. And know for sure, with joy in your heart, that there is nowhere else that you can go. Because you've seen Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for each of us here this morning that when that question, to whom shall we go, is front and center in our minds, that we know the answer. That we know that the Lord Jesus is all in all. And I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't keep our distance. We wouldn't just wave and smile at Jesus and then carry on in our own way but that we would feed on him. We would take him and what he's done into our lives, that it would provide that fuel, that energy. And that ultimately our hearts would be set upon him. 
Father, I pray that we're not part of that crowd. I pray that we're not part of that wider group of disciples. I pray that we're not Judas. I pray that we would be those who hear the words and respond. Father, thank you for Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you for your great sacrifice. Fill our vision this week, we ask. In your name, amen.